Today, I want to share with you directly how I discovered the Latino epidemiological paradox and what it means for our research that we do about Latinos. Yes, that's it, Latino epidemiological paradox. What's that? Listen up and we'll find out. Welcome to Gente and Health, a podcast by the Center for the Study of Latino Health and Culture. I'm the center's director, David Hayes Bautista, the old Chicano professor. This podcast is an extension of the research we have been a part of for many years. Join us as we discuss the state of Latinos and as we unearth the voices of our gente and our health. What is the Latino epidemiological paradox? Well, it all started back when I was an undergraduate at Berkeley in the 60s, and I was taught all these models about Latinos as a minority, including many statements about how unhealthy Latinos are. Then when I was a graduate student in the basic sciences at UCSF, my faculty continued to teach me how unhealthy Latinos were, how much Latinos didn't know about health, etc. So I started my research career having heard this all my life and not knowing if it was really true or not. Then Oh, must have been about 1981-82. For the very first time, I heard someone speak who was from the State Department of Health, who had been looking at birth outcomes, infant mortality. And this was before there was that little Hispanic identifier that you now have on the census. So nobody knew how many Hispanics there were, or Latinos, or Latinx. But this person had used surname. So if your name were Garcia, Martinez, Hernandez, he was looking at uh, the birth outcomes and he noticed something that women that had Spanish surnames in California had really good birth outcomes. Very low percent of low birth weight babies, very low infant mortality. And I remember looking at those data and getting this feeling of, what? You mean we're not just this diseased entity that I've been told all my life? And it made me very, very curious because this went against everything I had been taught as an undergraduate and as a graduate. And for what I was hearing from my colleagues, researchers about how unhealthy Latinos were, that Latinos were criminals, lazy, using welfare, you know, all these stereotypes you can see even today in the media, particularly in English. Then about 30 years ago, I wrote my first book published by Stanford University Press, in which I projected that by 2030, California would be 42% Latino. And I just got a tremendous amount of pushback from readers saying, oh my God, if California is almost half Latino, it'll be the end of California. Why? Why? I would ask. Because you know about Latinos, they're all illegal immigrants, gangbangers, teenage pregnant moms on welfare, unhealthy, using up all the welfare, blah, 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 blah. And I remember thinking, well, that doesn't, I don't think it means that, but I've never seen any data to indicate anything else. Then one day I um, was sitting in my wife's office. She was at the School of Nursing at UCLA from which she subsequently got her PhD. And she had just received a uh, book from the Los Angeles County Health Department that for the very first time broke out Latino deaths from everybody else. See up until then, Latinos were either stuffed in with everybody else or stuffed in with all minorities because we didn't have this Hispanic identifier. Now for the first time it was being used ever since the 1980 census. And I could actually look at how many Latinos had heart attacks, cancer, stroke, et cetera. And I was excited because I thought 
finally, I can get some data on this. And as I open the book and look at the columns of data, my jaw fell open. Latinos had far fewer heart attacks than anybody else, far fewer cancers, fewer strokes, fewer chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. In fact, as I went down all the causes of death for everything, with one exception, Latinos had far lower death rates. And I remember reading this, I got this feeling of almost euphoria because I remember this infant mortality data. And I thought, maybe, maybe Latinos can do one thing right, which is be healthy. But then, of course, I'm a researcher. So my first question was, well, but are these data correct? What if people were miscategorized because that Hispanic identifier were new? What if maybe people, immigrants, went back to Mexico to die and so they aren't picked up in the data? So I started going through all the reasons why these data might have been incorrect. But as I began to check into it uh, and looking at all these other possible explanations, the data held up. Then I was uh, doing a large survey of Latinos in California. And what I noticed in the survey that I was doing is that this epidemiological paradox seemed to continue in social behavior. Now, remember, up until then, I had been told all my life, well, income and education determine all your behavior. So that if you have low income and low education, you're going to have horrible health. You're going to smoke a lot. You're going to use alcohol a lot. You're going to use drugs a lot. You're going to be welfare dependent. You're going to be a teen mom. All these sorts of stories called the urban underclass really is the model. And the paradox is that Latinos have this exceptionally good health outcome, even though Latinos have low income and low education, horrible access to care, and don't get me going about the Latino physician shortage. And I've been working on that for nearly 50 years. So as I did the survey, I also saw that Latinos had the highest labor force participation of any group, worked more hours per week than any group, worked more in the private sector than any group, worked far less in the public sector, which is why it's so hard to find a Spanish-speaking person in the post office or a Department of Motor Vehicles. Also, I discovered Latinos use welfare less of any group. Latinos had stronger families of any group. Now, these are all behaviors that people think you have to have a college degree and high income to achieve, and Latinos are doing all of this. Not only is there an epidemiological paradox, that is, the health of Latinos is far better than you would predict given their income and, out and education, Latinos also have great social behaviors. Again, irrespective of the low income and low education. So I pulled all these data together, wrote some papers, and then I wrote a book on this that came out in 2004. And so I was happy I was sharing these data and I kept getting a lot of pushback. And the pushback, if I could boil it down, years of pushback is, we know about Latinos, you can't do anything right. What do you mean you have better health? What do you mean you use welfare less? That's not what I've heard. So I look at the data and I say, please, let's look at the data. In fact, in that book that I wrote, in 2004, uh, I actually used 60 years worth of data from 1940 to 2000. And in that 60 years, Latinos had the best health indicators, the best social indicators of any group in spite of low income and low education. Since then, I have expanded out, looked outside California. I see the same Latino epidemiological paradox nationally, the same Latino social paradox 
nationally. And what surprises me is how people have never seen those data, although they've been around all these times, because I use large public data sets. Three years ago, I was on a panel back in Washington uh, for NIH, and it was a panel on race, ethnicity, and genomics and the Precision Medical Initiative. So I shared the data about Latinos and the Latino epidemiological paradox, which is not predicted by our typical models that say that low income and low education means horrible health outcomes. I had three NIH center directors in the room. Their draws dropped. And one of them asked me, he said, I've never seen these data before. Where did you get them? And I pointed to him. I said, they're your data. These are NIH data that you report publicly. But I've never seen them. That's the power of narrative. I guess this narrative about Latino dysfunction is so strong, even researchers are so convinced by the narrative they don't really look at the data. So here we continue to this day, Latinos, in spite of low income, low education, spectacular health outcomes, spectacular social outcomes. Now, you may think, but what about the poverty? And absolutely, yes, Latinos have and have had one of the highest rates of poverty. But Latino poverty is different from urban underclass poverty. Urban underclass poverty is because people have suffered long-term unemployment so long that in fact they wind up leaving the labor force called labor force desertion and then they lose all their skills to be they become functionally unemployable that's why they have poverty thus the program say from washington well we have to train people to work train them to show up on time work with a supervisor be nice to the customer etc cetera, etc cetera. and then they see that actually latinos have pretty high rates of poverty but i say well but Latinos don't need any training. They work really hard. In fact, Latinos have the highest labor force participation rate of any group. Immigrants have an even higher participation rate than U.S. born. Undocumented, even higher. And yet they're the poorest. The problem with Latino work and poverty is not that Latinos don't work. Latinos work hard. We just don't get paid. So it's really a simple solution, I say. Just pay them for the work that they do. Nobody wants to hear me. But uh, while these behaviors are very consistent, the narratives out there about Latinos, particularly over the past five years with the outgoing administration, are just precisely the opposite, that Latinos are somehow going to harm the nation's health. We're going to use welfare. We're going to use up all the Medicaid. So you have to build a big high wall so that Latinos don't come in. And yet, Latinos are the very thing that this country needs. Welcome back. So let's continue talking about the Latino epidemiological paradox. And I can hear people say, but what about COVID? And yes, COVID is a real problem. In fact, at CESLA, we have been doing reports on Latinos and COVID since last spring. Uh, I believe our first report came out in April or May. And we were one of the first to point out that Latinos were having higher case rates due to COVID and higher mortality rates due to COVID. And I remember early in the uh, pandemic, someone said to me, well, you guys have this Latino epidemiological paradox, so you're not going to get touched by COVID, so we don't have to worry about you. And I said, uh-uh, no, that's only a piece of the story. 
there are other things that we need to understand about COVID-19 and Latinos to get a sense of what's going to happen. And tragically, what we foresaw has happened and Latinos have had a mounting both case rate and mortality rate far higher than any other group, much, much higher than white. And yet Latinos have also been the essential workers that have kept this state functioning and alive during the nine months of the pandemic we've had so far. So what happens with COVID? Well, it turns out that the major causes of death are due that we have in this country are due to chronic disease that are what are called lifestyle disease. For example, heart disease. You have heart diseases because of how you eat, what you eat, what you drink, how you move, whom you associate with, all these other sorts of things that you do over the course of your lifetime. And if I were to breathe on you, there's no way that I give you a heart attack. It's what you do over the course of your lifetime. And usually medical interventions only come in at the end when there's already a lot of damage, then we perhaps can give you a replacement heart, which is also very expensive. Well, in these lifestyle diseases, Latinos have figured out how to reduce your risk for death for all of them, with the result that Latinos live three and a half years longer than non-Hispanic white. But then there are communicable diseases. And there are a number of them. One of them, for example, is tuberculosis. And tuberculosis is airborne. And as we look at tuberculosis for about 50 years, Latinos and other communities of color have had far higher tuberculosis, both uh, morbidity rates and death rates. And communicable diseases require then the intervention of a public health infrastructure. Because yes, someone can breathe on you, give you tuberculosis. Now, the good news is for tuberculosis, we know how to handle tuberculosis. And in a given year, less than 200 people in California will die of tuberculosis. That's out of 40 million. That's pretty good. So generally, people don't die of communicable diseases. Yes, you get sick, but we can manage it. And there's very low mortality. COVID, unfortunately, manages to combine the worst of both things. So I can breathe on you. I'm not going to give you a heart attack. I can breathe on you and breathe the coronavirus at you. You can catch it and you too can become infected. You can too can develop COVID. And COVID, unfortunately, right now kills like a chronic. While only 200 people a year in California die of tuberculosis, about 200 people in California die every day because of COVID. It spreads like a communicable. It kills like a chronic. So that's why COVID is a big exception, if you will, to the Latino epidemiological paradox, because it is spread via communicable. And Latinos have consistently suffered more from communicable diseases because the health infrastructure rarely goes into our community, rarely communicates with us in our language. We are just simply outside the formal medical, medical care system far more than any other population. Add to that, that the prevention measures that were developed early in the pandemic were simple. Take your laptop, unplug from the office, go home, shelter at home, take your kids out of school, have them enroll in online classes, isolate yourself, don't go out. Well, that works in Beverly Hills. People in Beverly Hills have the type of jobs you can take home and do on your laptop at home. However, other people can't do their jobs from their 
living room. Farm workers, for example, who grow the food that we all eat. You can't grow lettuce in your front room. You actually have to go out to the fields in a rautero with about 20 other people. You work in large crews, large cuadrillas, or if you're in a meatpacking plant, you're stuck together on the processing line. Or if you're working in a grocery store, you're a checkout clerk with a couple of hundred people passing within an arm's length. You can't do those from your living room. You need personal protective equipment and we did not give them personal protective equipment. They often don't have health insurance because of the employers don't offer that to them. Latino households, in fact, because of the high work ethic have more wage earners per household than non-Hispanic white. And what that means, you don't have more people sheltering at home in the living room. No, it means you have more adults leaving the house by the nature of their jobs being more exposed to the coronavirus, either from their coworkers or their clients, and then come back to the house. And Latinos have more people living in a household. So for the very things that make Latinos strong, the strong work ethic, the strong families, the coronavirus uses very opportunistically to get into and infect Latino households at a much higher rate and to kill Latinos at a much higher rate than any other group. So the Latino epidemiological paradox is great news for style of life, but it's horrible news because the coronavirus spreads like a communicable, kills like a chronic, and Latinos have been neglected by the medical care delivery system in the state for 170 years. The coronavirus epidemic has shed light on this neglect. When a style of life, we can do okay, but we need the public health infrastructure for communicable, and it's very, very thin in our communities. We will get over this. The vaccinations are now available, uh, and I would urge everybody to please get your vaccinations. Probably within about a year, things will be roughly back to where they were before, uh, and the death rate due to COVID will probably drop and we'll go back a little bit to status quo antes, but with a big whack, a two-year whack taken out of our lives because of this. So let's always remember that once we get back more or less to normal, there will be another epidemic out there five to 10 years in the future. Will we have learned from this epidemic? Will we start to close the gap in access to care? Will we start to pay farm workers sufficiently so that they can live? Will we provide health care for everybody the way most other advanced industrialized countries offer? This depends on the lessons that we learn from the pandemic. But underneath all of that, we need to understand what gives us this gift of the Latino epidemiological paradox. How do we understand what those dynamics are? How do we get Latinos to share them over the back fence with their neighbors so that more people can also enjoy the benefits of the Latino epidemiological paradox. When I am asked back, back about my book that came out in 1988, so what will California be like when it's half Latino? I say, well, it's easy. When California is half Latino compared to what California was like in 1980, California as a whole will have fewer heart attacks, fewer cancers, fewer strokes, live three and a half years longer, smoke less, drink less, do drugs less, work harder, work more in the private sector, use welfare less, set up more businesses. Uh, so what's the problem with California being half Latino? And I can say that because I bumped into 
the Latino epidemiological paradox in the data that give us to understand that. Well, that's all for this week. Thank you all for listening, and please remember to subscribe if you haven't done so. This podcast was written and produced by Brandy Lopez and Giselle Hernandez. Our executive producers are Adriana Valdez and Sarah Santiso Greenwood. Editing was provided by Elias Rodriguez. And music this week was provided by Mariachi de Uclatlan. Tune in for the next episode as we delve further into topics of Latino culture, gente, and health.